July 2018. July 4th, 2018. If you're wondering what kind of a season I'm in, it's honestly a season of denial. I found lately that it's much easier to not look at pictures and to stay busy. If I'm consumed with things to do, I can't sit and let my reflections roam. Maybe this isn't healthy, you say. For me, right now, it's a huge part of how I am surviving. Bedtime is the only time I can't completely ignore my thoughts. I'm not sure if it's because it's too quiet. I'm not sure if it's because when I lay in the spot I was that harrowing night, all I hear is three knocks roaring at the door. Or because I give in to my exhaustion of dodging my feelings all day. I don't enjoy the quiet still of the night. Not yet. But I'm hopeful. I had to work today. Working the holidays is a huge downfall of nursing. But today, taking care of babies and talking with parents and co-workers, friends, it consumed me enough. I might just be thankful I was there. Coming home to a somber atmosphere, dispiriting. I didn't like seeing the new beautiful deck and remembering Glenn recently crumbling as he was destroying the old one. Each section like a piece of mourning as he reflected on all the fourths he carried Logan to bed. Logan always fell asleep watching fireworks from our beautiful view. I can see him now, starting to play with his ears and hugging his blanket. This just makes me want to go back to work or to escape where there are fireworks and laughter. But tonight, before bed, I indulged my urge to go inside instead of escaping by one of my many avenues. No ignoring, just feeling. I decided to look at some pictures, to try and think about the memories attached to them. It wasn't fun, but I'm hopeful it will be one-fourth, a fourth in my future. These pictures represent my favorite memories of a fourth of July, a memory where Logan was so happy and carefree, where the only battles he had going on in his mind were where the bad guys were stealing our fireworks and his powers destroyed them and protected our treasures. Or the battles of reality, like where he negotiated with me on whether it was a good idea to let him have a late-night soda. We had visited Glenn's dad in small-town Shelbyville, Illinois, but also got to see his brother, cousins, mom, old friends, and even some good old summer race car driving. Grandpa Joe had put on a huge fundraiser for a local injured man, and the kids got to help with many more fireworks than we will ever be a part of in our lifetime again. Magical. Logan always played with his ears when he was tired. Something I do too, and it's something special about him I will always hold uniquely to us. I can be such a perfectionist sometimes, and so was happy to find this picture at the racetrack, him playing with his ears cut and mounted against paper in our album. I'm grateful I didn't see it as a flawed one, since everyone wasn't looking at the camera, and I kept it instead. It is now a piece of a memory I can see when they, memories, start to fade. How many other pictures do I now wish I would not have destroyed? Memories destroyed? I'm done looking at pictures again for a while, at least for a few days, and then we'll see what comes. Happy 4th. I hope it was a good one for you. July 5th, 2018. Prayer eludes me most of the time. It's coming back, but very, very slowly. What do I mean by that? Well, the only prayer I could pray for the last many months, 
and still often pray, is silence. I have sat in silence so many times. I sit in silence because I don't know what to say. But oddly, if we had a conversation, I could tell you a lot of how I feel, a lot of what I want, and even a lot of what I'm thankful for. And I know God will provide these, knows these, and gave me these. But for some reason, these past months, it is so hard to talk to God about any of it. Before Logan took his life, my prayer life was so abundant and frequent. It then became silent. My singing was full of praise and prayer, and now I often don't even attempt any song, knowing I won't be able to get through the first verse. I stand in silence, usually with tears streaming down. But at times I can sing loudly in praise at home. Why is it when I'm in his house that I seem stunned with emotion, so much that I can't even cry out in rhythm? Maybe because at home I can be doing something else, and the core of my being is doing the task at hand. Obviously, a lot has to do with focus. I have none. I was getting bad. Yes, I'm 45, but it became really, really bad after December. It's getting better, but only ever so slightly. I will start talking to God, a sentence or two maybe, and then my mind drifts. Time spins out of control, and intermittently I remember I haven't spoken to him in a while, and when I last did, it was a few words. Out of frustration, I often mutter the words, God, I don't get it. I trust you and love you and am blessed and thankful. Why can't I have a full conversation with you? And then minutes or maybe an hour goes by before I realize, wow, well, at least I got three sentences out that time. So when I tell you I'm praying about this, or that, or something specific related to you, I do it. I often question how nonchalantly we use those words out there. I'm praying for you. So I want to be that friend, that if I express that to you, you can be assured it will happen. But for now, it's almost hurried, as if I need to spit it out before I can allow myself to wander. Such a challenging game almost. And sometimes it will come back to me and I can ask God for that again. But most of the time, it ends up off far in the distance. So for a while, I have felt really, really guilty about this. And then I listened to a podcast someone had shared with me. Sometimes we have to lend our faith to others. And sometimes we have to borrow the faith of others. Many times I have been that church and gathered in prayer for others. Many times I have shown up in church, saying loudly with certain people flowing through my thoughts. And oftentimes I have stopped what I'm doing to add one more request to him on your behalf. So I think I'm discovering that I'm in a time where I have to borrow the faith of others. This means to let the church pray for me. I have to let people that are surrounded by me during service sing for me. I know I've said this before, but I've had a lot of down moments. But I've also had a lot of peace. And I know that's because of you all, my church, my faith. Thank you for letting me or us borrow that from you. Thank you for being so faithful to speak on my, our behalf. Thank you for leaving me voice message prayers. Thank you for reaching out and letting me know you're praying, you are caring, you are thinking about us.
I have hope to be able to do that again soon for you and others. Hashtag hope. Hashtag suicide awareness. July 6, 2018. Missing my son Logan so much. Hanging on to these memories. Advice. If you haven't taken time to sit down and write some things about what's going on in your kids' lives right now, the funny things they say, their favorites, their dreams, I promise it will be time well spent. Hashtag miss him so much. Hashtag suicide awareness. July 7, 2018. So yesterday I did a thing. I took a concealed gun course with Bryce. Now, let me first preface this by saying I don't want to get into a gun debate on my Facebook. I've been a hunter with my dad most of my life, and I'm probably more aware of dangers than the average person because of the line of work that my husband does. However, I do stand strongly on the side that no citizen should need to possess a weapon that can destroy multiple people in seconds. But that's not what I want to talk about. Actually, talking about guns is much harder than I ever thought it would be. My son died by his own hand, but with a gun. A gun I wished he wouldn't have been able to get, at least not as fast as he did. If you read previous posts, you may have an idea of his story. If not, I'm not going to go into all those details again. You can scroll back to the week of December 15th-ish, but I will update you on the gun part. Logan Borman applied for a gun permit at approximately 1.30 p.m. online. He was approved approximately one hour later. He purchased a gun online at about 3 o'clock and by 4.15 or so had it in his hands. He died before the clock struck midnight, and if it weren't for him loving us so much that he went and bought paper and such to write notes, it could have been sooner. I ask and do not want to debate, why, oh why, isn't there a waiting period? At minimum, 24 hours. Why isn't there a questionnaire, a conversation, mental health questions, are you going to hurt yourself questions? How about one reference that must be contacted, just one? I understand that he could have harmed himself another way. I understand he could have maybe gotten a gun from somewhere else. I understand he may have felt the same way 24 hours later. I understand he could have made up some great story to a friend that could have been a reference. I understand he could have lied about his thoughts. I even understand this might not save the average suicidal person. And lastly, I understand you think it's a right to be able to purchase when you want. But the truth is, we will never know if that could have made a difference in Logan's life, or with someone else. You see, it could have made a difference for my kid. Logan didn't have access to any of our guns. They are always locked and none of the kids know where the key is. Logan didn't really have the means to get a gun somewhere else. I recognize this is only an assumption, but his ethics would have played into him until the end. And in all ways that I am aware, they very much did so. And I don't believe he would have attempted anything illegal. He wouldn't have felt comfortable approaching random people and would not have risked getting caught by any other means that I can imagine besides purchasing at a store. He was a sensitive kid. He might have actually answered some of those questions truthfully or showed a sign of nervousness or breakdown. He knew lots of people 
but I do feel like anyone getting a call for a gun reference would have been pretty caught off guard and would have wanted to know why. Isn't it worth one's impatience to potentially save someone, someone like my son? But most of all, time would have passed. I really think we would have had a conversation the next day. I can't predict how much we would have learned about the wandering thoughts, the job situation, and what happened within the last week. But I can know that we would have reassured him that we loved him no matter what. I can imagine prying a few reluctant, honest thoughts from him and being able to respond, giving him the benefit of the doubt, encouraging him it wasn't meant to be, and even helping him see the positive of what just happened and also where the next steps are to go. And most of all, I know this would have ended with a hug, maybe some tears, but a for sure I love you, we love you. I could have at least gotten that chance to give him one more genuine mom moment. Would have this settled his heart for a bit, only to end up back at three o'clock a different day? I don't know, but I do know the laws need to change. I don't have all the answers, but I have some of them. I ask that people send the following message to your state representative. In honor of Logan Borman, We ask that you work for legislation that imposes a reasonable waiting period between firearm purchase and possession to provide a cooling off period to guard against impulsive acts of violence. Please feel free to share. Hashtag mental health awareness. Hashtag suicide awareness. Hashtag miss him so much. Hashtag gun laws need to change. July 10th, 2018. Have you ever said something so weird? Something that didn't make sense to say, but it just came out? I'm sure we're all guilty of speaking before thinking, but grief brain can affect everyone differently. Every book will tell you this. But I guess certain personality traits probably are exposed more than ever under a heightened stressor, such as sudden and unexpected death. And I know I've said many, many borderline inappropriate things in my life. My daughter scolding me many times for having what she calls no boundaries. But I feel like I am a realist. I speak and ask what everyone is thinking. Perhaps I should sugarcoat it a little more on occasion. But almost always I feel I'm not offensive. However, it's interesting how I choose to get through some really awkward and scary situations as they happened in the last six months. Here are a few examples. The morning of December 15th, within a few hours of finding out Logan had taken his life, my aunt offered to drive me to Starbucks. This is a place I frequent and love to take my dogs for an added entertainment. Their presence, a treat for me or them, I'm never sure. I was searching for something familiar, I suppose. Something to help me feel as normal as I could, not knowing if I would even stomach my beloved drink when suddenly the moment turned very abnormal, as if it could get any more. I had chosen to not go into the store, fearing the obvious, when a friend I have known since my kids were probably eight or nine walked out and somehow looked directly at me. She then approached my car, and so I felt obliged to open the door. Then, like a shotgun firing loud and abruptly, the same question was asked that I would dreadfully hear even this day, 
I came over to see your dogs. How are you? She couldn't have possibly known how that question pierced my heart. But somehow I chose to thrust it back at her, replying, Terrible. My son just took his life. Just like that, as if it were common conversation. Naturally, she gave me the deer in the headlights look, as she had to process what was just said. After mustering up an I'm sorry, perhaps, with another short sentence added, her cracked voice turned to the rear of the car, and she commented on how adorable the dogs were as they were leaning out the windows. A hug, and then some puppuccino delivered to my hands to save the day. Oh, those dogs looked so cute lapping up the whipped cream treat. Wish that could have remained the reality of that day. Then came a friend, a work get-together at Panera, probably sometime in late January. I was very overwhelmed at the numbers present, knowing many for years and business their lives contained. Despite thinking I was ready emotionally for this encounter, it was a hard, hard day. As a lot of people do under heightened emotion, we turn to humor. Although I'm learning what my idea of it doesn't probably resonate the same with others, inside I'm struggling. How do I act? How do people expect me to act? How do people want me to act? How would I want someone in my situation to act? And so forth. And reminding myself there are no rules. I literally just take one minute at a time. As we gathered around the tables after collecting our food, people started blessing me with cards and gift bags. Being in this large group and the attention focused on me, I suddenly felt really uncomfortable and blurted out, Wow! Thank you for all the gifts. It's like instead of a baby shower, it's a death shower. Because I laughed, people laughed with me. But I bet they were struggling to understand their secret responses, not verbalized. Then in June, I went back to work. Deciding when is a whole different topic I'm not going to touch on today. But obviously, there is a lot of fear and pondering of what to expect, how to act, and more no matter when or how soon the date comes. I feel like I am one that is fairly aware and protective of an environment, wanting everyone to feel comfortable. So as I approached the door and opened it at the same time thinking, here goes, there were three to four people at the front desk immediately in my walkway. Certainly most everyone was aware I could be back for the first time, but it was obvious the moment caught them off guard despite any words they had rehearsed. I believe their speech was silent, but remember their faces said it all. Another burst from my fragmented brain came, you all look like someone just died, with expression. I honestly don't remember responses, as I think I hurried away before a conversation could be started, hoping it had lightened the mood of the situation, but fearing it had not or the time I was having beers after an indoor soccer game. One of the players had brought a guy friend to watch and hang out. We were all sitting in a small group when the questions started bouncing back and forth. What do you do? Where do you work? Something he inquired about led me to say, I haven't been to work in the last few months. His reply, well, that's so awesome. Good for you. To which I replied, no, not really. We both repeated these similar words back and forth at least three times, as if he wanted to win the opinion war, until I finally had to force my verdict on him. My son committed, and I hate that word committed, 
but it's habit word I'm trying to change, and for whatever reason, it seemed to sound more harsh and hit home in the moment. Suicide. It isn't great. He appeared embarrassed, as did my daughter, who quickly got up and left the scene. I didn't regret saying it, but I did wish I hadn't had the tone that surfaced, and that exact wording. All so harsh-sounding, as if I was super annoyed with him. Well, actually I was at that moment, but I'm pretty forgiving and again a realist. I knew he had no idea, and that could have easily been me on that side of the conversation, if it were only a few months ago. And then sometimes people push you, and through no fault of their own or yours, you end up changing the course of how they ask questions forever. Like when I found myself in the dental chair because of severe pain, only to find out that I needed a root canal. And then after digging for a bit, it was discovered that the dentist couldn't get to my nerve and I'd have to be referred, which means I have to endure getting numb again for that part. During breaks, the assistant was trying to make conversation, as I respect good customer service, but I was already teary with, again, heightened emotions. When you are in my state, everything, even remotely bad, turns to overwhelming sadness and bartering with your mind that if your son was still here, this would be okay. I remember a few vague questions I skirted with short answers until she pressed on. Well, at least it was a holiday weekend. Everyone loves Easter. Tell me about yours. One of those open-ended questions I decided to answer truthfully. I don't recall all my responses, but the lesson I gave her was to not assume everyone enjoys all their holidays. I should have taken time to share some of my faith during resurrection season, but this girl was just too exhausted mentally. I have those moments for sure, and normally I wouldn't want personal things in my chart that would encourage foresight with their words, but I hope it's there so no one asks me how my holiday went again. There are other examples, and I could go on and on with stories, But the point really is that grief is uncomfortable. No matter how hard you try, it doesn't have boundaries, and you won't know how you feel until you have been there. So I just ask that you be gentle with me. Laugh when I laugh, and let me be real. If I want to be raw and honest and open, let me. And don't be afraid to ask the hard questions, because it helps me know you aren't frightened of me. Unfortunately, though, remember that this might not be what others need or want. Just like parenting and having all kinds of friends, relationships all need to be treated differently. It's a confusing roller coaster, but just being there tells us you care and are trying. Hashtag mental health awareness. Hashtag suicide awareness. Hashtag miss him so much. Hashtag this sucks. Whoops, did I say that? July 14th, 2018. Dear Savannah, hashtag happy 22. The day you move out is the same day you moved into my world. You will never understand how I can be so happy for you and so sad at the same time until you hold your own baby in your arms. So proud that your wings have spread greater than I could have imagined. Be patient with me always. I just want every moment with you to last. Cheers to many more great life adventures. Keep taking them on. 
Love, Mom. July 15, 2018. Today is one more 15th. Sometimes a recurring date is a cause for celebration. I hate the 15th. But trying to find something to be thankful for today, and well, I've been given an enormous gift, and particularly today, have thought about it a lot. I suppose that's a reason for acknowledgement, the gift. You may not see it as a gift, but I do, at least much of the time. Sometimes I want to give it back. Actually, I scream at receiving it occasionally, but I know it has a purpose, and therefore I accept it, at least as best as I can. The gift? Pain. The worst pain many of you say you don't even want to imagine. You see, before I would share my testimony, perhaps you're thinking without much credibility. Sure, I have some awesome things I've shared that demonstrate grace and love and even a handful of hard times where my faith carried me. But those really didn't compare to some of the heartache and stories I've heard some of you tell. And before, when I would share how Jesus had pushed me through, I could sense the eye-rolling, the, you have no idea, sure you can say all this hope stuff to me, but that's because you've never had something awful happen. You've really never felt pain. I don't think God tests our faith, but I do think he might allow something to happen to enable you to trust him, to grow closer, to discover just why you need him. If you see life eternally, this makes more sense. I read a book long ago, The Power of the Praying Mother, and after reading about releasing your children to Jesus, really trusting him with them, I thought, I could do that. The story of a mother losing her child to cancer, it scared me, but drew me to hope that I could have that peace, that I trusted him that much. But I also felt like I couldn't really know. And so I suppose you might feel the same, that we can't really know what or how we would feel until we went through something that devastating. I can never know exactly what your pain feels like, and you can never know mine. But the worst thing that I could ever imagine happened to me, outside of losing more or all of my children. So regardless of what your pain is, I can relate to any level. I feel like I now know. I know that I truly believe, and it's not just a fake ideal in my mind. I have used God to get me through this terrible time. And without a doubt, without him, I wouldn't be here sharing. My gift? Pain. But more than that, I can relate to your pain, and I can share my faith in a way I could never before. You can never tell me, I don't know or I don't get it. Credibility? I feel like there is no other testimony I could give of myself that could be stronger. The song Scars is currently playing on the radio. The first time I heard it, I just bawled. It's so much of how I feel. I don't always want to embrace my story, but with his help, I'm there more than not. I encourage you to listen to this on YouTube. It will shake your soul. Hashtag suicide awareness. Hashtag mental health awareness. Hashtag thankful. Hashtag miss him so much. July 18th, 2018. In my quest to research everything, I've come to realize that what Logan thought he died from 
and what he likely really died from are different. Logan thinks he died from failure. He said it over and over in his letters. I suppose if you want to dive really deeply, he did in the sense that he was failed in a lot of ways. Most importantly, he was not taught early on from society or us exactly what mental illness was and how to prevent or treat it. In his lack of life experiences, he failed to see hope and that things can and would get better, that the sun always shines in the morning. But after reading more about suicide, I believe it is usually multidimensional, psychological, biological, philosophical, sociological, epidemiological, with a perfect storm of events to cause an ending so final. Jordan and Bauer, 2016, page 161. As a suicide survivor, and especially as a mother, I'm always looking to blame. That's just what we do. And ultimately, not one of us can take total responsibility. But if we don't take some, then how do we learn and prevent the next brother, son, mother, teacher, friend, co-worker from taking their life? Here's what I see played the biggest factors. Fear, embarrassment, unawareness. Fear. He was losing his mind. He was so smart, and I think he thought he could outmaneuver intrusions. His mind was his strongest attribute. How scary to have it be bleeding. At some point, he started to doubt what he knew to be the truth. When he wasn't sure, he wondered if he really knew who he was. Was his intellect failing him? How could he live with a mind he could no longer understand? He panicked with the uncertainty. He didn't know what to do with his emotions, where to channel them, or how to master them. Embarrassment. That someone might know there was something wrong with him. That he could possibly have a mental illness. He came from a middle-class family. He was a man. He bought into the stigma that depression is about someone else. He never told any friends he was thinking of taking his life. Unawareness of clinical depression being a disease like any other that affects the body. He didn't know the warning signs and have an understanding that it needed managing. Unawareness that moods can be controlled with the right tools and with time, and that support it can get better. Ignorance of how he would rob us of his future and what exactly that meant. Did these same things contribute to our negligence in Logan's death? Fear. I was afraid of the unknown. When my body went into alarm mode, I was scared to ask about suicide, thinking it would trigger or give him the idea. So not true. I was reluctant to hear the answers and or terrified I wouldn't know what to say or do regarding those responses. I was even frightened of hearing denial on his part and how that would leave me wondering why my own son couldn't talk and trust me. Embarrassment. Society and social media give way to an unrealistic version of what it means to be a man. Need I say more? Unawareness. Even as a professional, a nurse, with the required psychology classes and holistic teachings, I didn't understand the difference between situational and clinical depression. I didn't research his symptoms enough, and I'm a researcher. 
as a society that we need to understand that depression is a disease and it needs managing. Warning signs and how to talk to someone who is depressed or suicidal. To the junior highs and high schools that aren't doing enough to teach, reach, and support, our district has implemented a lot in the last year. Too late for Logan, but so happy for others. From friends who never ask the hard questions. To the counselor we saw who didn't see him as a suicidal risk, despite acknowledging he was in a deep depression, but just saying if he didn't want help, there was nothing we could do. To the professors who couldn't help, but notice his struggles reflected in his grades. To the dean he met with in his last semester, instead of exploring reasons why a previous AP excelling ACT high achieving student would be struggling to show up to class, focus and maintain the minimum C requirements, instead only informed him of what necessary grades he needed to achieve this semester to stay in the program, to which Logan admittedly informed me was daunting and unattainable. These are assumptions, but I never witnessed or was informed of any interventions attempted. To the dispatch trainers and staff, who should have noticed his physical struggles in class, and especially those last two weeks. And to those trainers that were considered to have bully attitudes, just stop. To the hiring process that should screen, follow, and support those at risk in this very delicate job. To the legislature that can implement and support a law that one must wait a minimum of 24 to 48 hours from when applying for a gun permit to allowing a purchase. To the gun salesman that likely didn't ask the hard questions, knowing his permit was only a couple hours old. It was all the perfect storm for Logan. But it really doesn't matter that I can posthumously diagnose him with clinical depression or that I can attribute certain things about his life that likely contributed. I can't even know if these efforts would have saved him. He's gone. It doesn't matter for Logan, and no one is the sole influence on another's life. But it can matter for you. What you don't do or know can hurt you or those you love. Hashtag suicide awareness. Hashtag mental health awareness. Hashtag depression.